I'm Timothy Putnam, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week we gather right here to explore the foundations of our faith, to look at the implications of our faith on our daily lives, so that together you and I can prepare to live outside the walls. We're continuing our conversation today on the topic of evangelization. For the last few weeks since Pentecost, we've been on this kick to talk about evangelization, uh, and we're going to continue it for a couple of more weeks after this. If you missed any of the previous episodes, we've talked with uh, Tim Glimkowski. He's the president of the La Alto Institute. And we talked about this new letter from uh, the pastoral letter from the Archdiocese of Detroit uh, uh, that is really unpacking for the people of God what it means for us to be involved in evangelism. So we talked with him about his impressions of it. Uh, then we talked with Joe Heschmeyer, one of our favorite uh, recurring guests, uh, about the fact that love always precedes evangelism. Evangelism isn't something that we work up by our own strength or power. Rather, it's after we have a profound encounter with the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, more than just knowledge, but a, a real, true love relationship with God, that that really compels us, really impels us towards evangelism. It's not something that we work up by our own strength, but it's something that is in response to a, uh, an encounter with the love of God. Last week, we talked with Bishop Michael Sheridan of the Diocese of Colorado Springs, and, and we talked about some pragmatic steps to encountering God in the sacraments, about the role of families in evangelism, and more. All of these shows are archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com, so I hope that you'll go take a listen to them if you missed any of them, share them with your friends if you didn't miss them, and then this week— this week is uh, we're going to return to that pastoral letter from the Archdiocese of Detroit, and today we have Bishop Gerard Battersby. He is a, an auxiliary bishop for the Archdiocese of Detroit, and he's been very involved in this process. So he's going to break down for us a little bit about what went into the letter, what the purpose of the letter is for the people of Detroit, and then also how it still applies to us, we who do not live in Detroit. Uh, and it's going to be a great conversation. You're not going to want to go anywhere. But we're not quite there yet. Uh, let's talk a little bit about evangelization. We've said this before. It seems like a scary word. It conjures up these pictures of knocking on doors of strangers with a, with a goofy grin and a script and, uh, and going down the script saying, do you know where you'd go if you die tonight? And this is not what the church thinks about when she talks about evangelization. Because, again, it's not a program that we work up. Rather, evangelization is born out of relationship, and it's born out of a desire to draw other people into that relationship with Christ. Uh, back in Evangelium Nuntiandi, Pope Paul VI said this. We've said it before, and we're going to probably say it again in the next couple of weeks as we stay on this topic. Evangelizing is, in fact, the grace and vocation proper to the church— her deepest identity. She exists in order to evangelize. So this means that if we are to be the church, if we, you and I, are the body of Christ and we're doing the things that the church does, then we have to be about the work of evangelization. It's part of our identity. It's the church's deepest identity. And so it stands to reason that if evangelization is the very center of our identity, our deepest identity as the people of God, as the church, then we ought to spend some time to understand what it is and isn't and to get past the preconceptions that our culture has put on this concept, this idea of evangelization. Pope Francis, right after he, he 
became Pope, uh, he, he had this statement that he said, and of course he quoted it in Evangelii Gaudium. And it's really, it's the, the quote on which this show was named. Uh, he says, let us go forth then. Let us go forth to offer everyone the life of Jesus Christ. I prefer a church which is bruised, hurting, and dirty because it's been out on the streets, rather than a church which is unhealthy from being confined and from clinging to its own security. If something should rightly disturb us and trouble our consciences, it's the fact that so many of our brothers and sisters are living without the strength, light, and consolation born of friendship with Jesus Christ. You see, we have to go outside the walls. We have to go outside of our own comfort zone to a place where it's dangerous because dangerous things happen in the streets. It's, it's safer to stay inside of our walls. And yet, we have to go out, and not just for a program, not just to, to be um, charitable, not just to, to feed the hungry and, and take care of the poor in our hospitals and our charities. These things are essential, but they are not enough. We do these things, but we do them for a reason. We do them because the love of Christ impels us. And if we are starting with the idea that, well, I need to go and take care of these people because it's what, uh, it's what the church does, then we're missing something. I know that that may seem odd because I just said we have to do it. But if we're doing it because it's what we do, we're missing something. It has to be something that comes out of passion, out of the depths of our heart and our love relationship with Christ. It has to come out of the fact that we, when we clothe the naked and feed the hungry and give drink to the thirsty and shelter to the homeless, we're doing it to Christ. As much as you've done it to the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. And when we do these things because we see Christ in the hungry and in the poor and in the oppressed and downtrodden, then then this is flowing out of an authentic love for God, and we can be authentic witnesses. But if we're just doing something because it's what we do and it's what we've always done, then we, we aren't really tapping into what it is to evangelize. We're going through the motions. And, and it's this idea of going through the motions, uh, even if we very deeply feel it, this idea of going through the motions that ultimately uh, will, will dry us up it will will burn out, will wither up, because, again, evangelization comes out of the power of the Holy Spirit. If we try to do any of this in our own strength, uh, it's going to fail. And so if you're a little bit nervous, if you get, a, you know, you start getting cold sweats when you start thinking about evangelization, I've got good news for you. This is not something that you do out of your own strength and your own giftings. Back on Pentecost, we talked with Sister Mary Carolyn of the Sisters of St. Francis of the Martyr St. George, and she talked about the Holy Spirit gives us gifts uh, as we need them. And it's not something we have, we've got to work up, but rather the Spirit pours it out on us. And so what our job is in evangelization, here's, here, we're going to bring it right down to the really pragmatic. What your job is, what my job is when it comes to evangelization is to be in relationship and connection with the Holy Spirit, and to be listening for what the Holy Spirit asks us to do, to be available when the Holy Spirit asks us. That's what it is right there. It, this is not a matter of going to school and getting a degree. This is not a matter of studying all the right techniques. This is simply 
being in relationship with God, listening and knowing the voice of God. And you, you have to develop that. This is a relationship. You, you, you know, you, you do it through Scripture. St. Jerome said, ignorance of Scripture is ignorance of Christ. You do it through reception of the sacraments. Uh, be frequent when you go to confession. Be frequent to the Eucharist. Be frequent to receive the graces that God has for you and get to know the presence of God by going to Eucharistic adoration. This is something I've been doing quite a bit more lately. Uh, you know, I don't have the the scheduled time, uh, and that's something that I'd like to get to. But over the last uh, several weeks, uh, just a couple of times a week, I'm like, you know, I'm going to go and I'm going to spend an hour. Uh, I'm going to go to the chapel that's nearest me. We've got a couple of chapels here that have 24-7 adoration. And just to go and sit down in the presence of Almighty God and to breathe and to say, I'm here. I'm here and I'm listening. And out of that, as we fall more in love with the person of Jesus Christ that we receive through the graces of the sacraments, as we're becoming more familiar to the voice of God, all of a sudden, the, the opportunities to evangelize will present themselves. Here I am, Lord. What is it that you'd have me do? Here I am, Lord. In Unleash the Gospel, this pastoral letter from the Archdiocese of Detroit, there's this reminder to us that this is not a, a program. You can't go out and program evangelization. And he says this, the invitation to believe in the gospel is always personal. It's not a moral program, but the offer of communion with a person, Jesus. Heart speaks to heart, as Cardinal John Henry Newman put it. The invitation is effective if it is made by a joyful disciple, one who has found joy in responding to the Lord's demands. The evangelist presents the challenges of the gospel not as the word of a superior to an inferior, but of a friend to a friend. Relationships are the key to this whole process. We prepare the ground first by establishing trust. Then we offer accompaniment to the sinner along the challenging road to life in Christ. And this is something important for us as we are out proclaiming that good news that Jesus loves you. As we're doing this, we have to remember that we start in relationship. You don't just go out and say, hey, by the way, you're in sin, and you're in sin, and you're in sin, and oh, I know you're going to hell. Now, this is not what we do. Rather, we create uh, standing by being in relationship, by walking alongside someone, and by showing them a more excellent way, this way of love, because God is love, the person of Jesus Christ, who gives us the love of the Father and puts us back into relationship with Him. When we come back, we're going to be talking with Bishop Gerard Battersby. He is an auxiliary bishop for the Archdiocese of Detroit. We're going to be unpacking this letter, Unleash the Gospel. Go to unleashthegospel.com for more information. In the meantime, join me on social media, facebook.com slash stepoutsidethewalls. On Twitter, the handle's at Outside the Walls. And on Patreon, go to patreon.com slash Outside the Walls. We'll be right back right after this.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the foundations and implications of our faith in our daily lives. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam, and here we are continuing our conversation on evangelization in these weeks following Pentecost. Uh, I just meant to do a couple of weeks, but we keep finding new guests, new opportunities. Uh, And right now we're talking with Bishop Gerard Battersby. He's an auxiliary bishop for the Archdiocese of Detroit. And we're going to unpack this new document uh, from from the Archdiocese, a pastoral letter called Unleash the Gospel. You want to find out more information, go to unleashthegospel.com. You can also just go to Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, put in that hashtag Unleash the Gospel and see just the absolute massive amounts of posts about this document. Uh, Bishop Battersby, thank you so much for being a part of the show today. Oh, I'm delighted to join you. So you are the youngest of nine children. You've got a, a twin brother. Uh, did did he make his way into any vocations as well? Well, he's 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 a father of four children. He's uh, he's 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 married, and uh, as a matter of fact, my twin brother has twin girls who have just uh, just graduated from high school this year. Great. Now you're you have an interesting story uh, because you are an adult vocation. Uh, and then now here you are, uh, a brand new bishop. You were or, uh, consecrated January 25th, just this year. Uh, and you have a perfect, you're poised perfectly at this launch of uh, this document because you have a licentiate in the new evangelization. You spent a lot of time focusing on the needs of evangelization in the church. That's right. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's an exciting time to be, uh, to be in the Archdiocese of Detroit. There's just... There's there's a, a, a reverberation of hope that's going on, and it's uh, um, it's it's gripping for all of us because you know we have a a shepherd who uh, he's he's kind of a scholar saint, and I don't say that as a throwaway line. He's uh, he's um, he's he's really a figure of hope for uh, for our beleaguered city, and you know what? At a time when uh, when when many folks are losing hope, um, uh, he's simply preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's all about Jesus, and 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 to fall more deeply in love with him um, is exhilarating. It's exciting, and um, and I think that's what's going on in Detroit right now. Let's talk about that just a little bit because you watch the news and and you hear a little bit about this uh, this beleagueredness in Detroit. You see. Sure. Uh, the people flying from city center and and a, really a lot of homes lying empty. And you don't think of that necessarily as a place of great hope. You think of uh, that line out of scripture, can anything good come out of Bethlehem? <laughs> oh, that's right. Exactly. And you know, it's funny, the archbishop even even references uh, references that in his, his pastoral letter in that he says, you know, I mean, Detroit's an unlikely place for Unleash the Gospel, but then God doesn't choose the sleek and the strong. He chooses uh, the most unlikely uh, candidates to 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 show His power, His glory. And so, you know, I mean, the Archbishop talked in his letter about uh, about dry wood being ripe for uh, for burning, and that's exactly what we hope is going on in Detroit. You know, Detroit, uh, Michigan lost eight. 864,000 manufacturing jobs in one decade, according to the Commerce Department. Mm-hmm. That's a tremendous blow. And right. so uh, the lack of hope that is, that is around is palpable. And so to, to begin to talk about hope 
and and seeing in other areas of Detroit a certain resurgence. Um, there's a springtime going on here, and I think you know with the Holy Spirit, everything is new. Right, and that's I mean, look at the poor beleaguered uh, apostles gathered in the upper room; they were defeated. <laughs> You know, and the, and all of a sudden, this beleaguered group is transformed. Why? Because the Holy Spirit descended upon them, and that's what we're hoping for Detroit. That's what we're hoping for the church. That's what uh, we hope spreads like a wildfire uh, throughout the world. Well, I, I look at Detroit. I, you talked about the loss of jobs, and and you see with that a loss of individual hope, and and then you you. Bet you have people maybe having to move away or maybe losing their homes. And, and then you see that reverberate in the church where you have uh, consolidations and closings of parish, which the archbishop mentioned as well. And in the midst of this, coming to that upper, upper room moment, you, you realize as an individual the complete lack of, the, of personal ability, loss of complete uh, lack of personal resources, and then that's the moment that the Holy Spirit comes in. And, Amen. And there's that exactly. quote uh, that you mentioned. If we've become spiritually dry, and I say this as an encouragement to you listening as well, if we've become spiritually dry, we need not fear. Dry wood is perfect for being set on fire. That's exactly it. So and let's we, talk a little bit. You've, this has not been something that was done quickly. This has been a long process over the last few years uh, that the bishop— prepared the people for this document, and then now it was released just on this last Pentecost and, and has been really reverberating around far beyond the boundaries of the archdiocese. You know, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's been a three-year process that uh, that has in, uh, included much prayer, much consultation. Um, it's included uh, a mass for Reparation, you know, I mean, at the heart of the gospel is the message to repent and believe. And so that was a very, very significant preparation for us, um, was that massive pardon, that massive repentance, massive reparation, which we had. And from there, we moved into Synod 16, which was the, which was the gathering of uh, a constituency of the entire archdiocese. Um, uh, priests, bishops, laity, uh, uh, religious, all gathered together um, for a three-day of days of prayer and discernment. Um, the 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 whole prayerful process began with over uh, 240 dialogue gatherings um, throughout the archdiocese of Detroit, and and it generated uh, over 11,000 comments that were uh, collected and collated about about a listening of the whole, to the Holy Spirit in the hearts of, of really the whole entire Archdiocese of Detroit, priests, uh, laity, uh, you know, men and women um, uh, responding to, to the movements of the Holy Spirit in their own lives and, and, and bringing this all together in, in to develop propositions which were then discerned and discussed at the... Uh, at the um, at Synod 16. So there were, there were uh, in preparation, part of the prayer was, of course, a universal prayer in all the parishes of, of the Archdiocese, but also gatherings of, I would say, dynamic prayer, over 36 gatherings throughout the Archdiocese that included uh, kind of a, a, a preparation, a, a, a 
trying to light the sparks um, with dynamic preaching and music and and of course at the center of it adoration of our lord because if it's not about jesus then then we we labor in vain and and uh um and it it, it really is all about falling anew in love with him who is completely and utterly lovable mm-hmm. Bishop Battersby, one of the things that I noticed in this document that that I don't see very often uh, in conversation uh, is the insistence that this is the work of every single person in the archdiocese, not just of the the parish administrators or parish staff, not just of the archdiocese, the priests, bishops, deacons, uh, and religious but the work of everyone. And then not only does it give a wonderfully inspiring message that shows us our place, but then there are, as you mentioned earlier, there are practical steps delineated out to help each individual person find their place in this work. You know, I I mean, you couldn't be more right in that I I think this document uh, embodies exactly what the Fathers of the Second Vatican Council envisioned, and that is uh, that is uh, us as bishops, priests, uh, religious, and laity working together and discerning the the Holy Spirit together uh, as as the one body that we are. And so it's a it it, it really is a document that that uh, is collaborative. You know, often enough in the church we talk about collabor- collaborative ministry. And it, it becomes a catchword, but this is a collaborative document that, in, that includes the hearts and, and, and minds of the entire archdiocese. Mm-hmm. Just it, to pull it's up. Not a, uh, it's not what we would call a bureaucratic document. It's not a, uh, the work of a, uh, a, a cadre of experts. Right. This is a document that is work of the entire people of the Archdiocese of Detroit, and therefore it's in in many ways a very sacred document, mm-hmm. because it's the heart and aspirations, the hopes, uh, and and faith of of you know uh, 1.3 million people, you know, mm-hmm. yearning to to hear Christ and follow Him. Yeah, just to pull out a real quick quote from that, it says that the Synod's foundational conviction is that the church in the Archdiocese of Detroit is resolved to obey the Holy Spirit and to be made by him a band of joyful missionary disciples. This means that the Archdiocese is resolved to undergo a missionary conversion, a change in our culture, such that every person at every level of the church, through personal encounter with Jesus Christ— embraces his or her identity as a son and daughter of God, and in the power of the Holy Spirit, is formed and sent forth as a joyful missionary disciple. For families, this means that every family embraces its role as the domestic church and in connection with other families and single persons, actively seeks the spiritual and social renewal of its neighborhood, schools, and places of work. That comes from the document Unleash the Gospel. You can find it at unleashthegospel.com. We're talking today with Bishop Gerard Battersby, Auxiliary Bishop of the Archdiocese of Detroit. We're going to continue this conversation just after this. Visit us on social media at facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. And go to patreon.com slash outside the walls. We'll be right back right after this.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the foundations and implications of our faith on daily life. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam, and we're continuing our conversation about evangelism here in these weeks after Pentecost. We have the great privilege today of speaking with, uh, with Bishop Gerard Battersby. He's an auxiliary bishop for the Archdiocese of Detroit. That's just now that the Archdiocese has just put out this beautiful pastoral letter called Unleash the Gospel. You can find it at unleashthegospel.com. You can also just go on social media and search for the hashtag Unleash the Gospel, and there's just a massive amount of response to this document. Uh, Bishop Battersby, thank you again for being on the show today. It's great to be with you, Tim. Now, one of the things that I noticed in this document was it really felt as if the archbishop, uh, in writing this letter, was not trying to transmit necessarily information. He wasn't trying to, to teach anyone, but rather it was a very personal call uh, to that person. And really, it felt like he was trying to share his heart and draw something out of them more than just transmitting a new idea or a new program. I, I, I really think you, you hit the nail on the head because this is about the archbishop's prayerful listening to his people, his priests, and, and laymen and women, and then listening to his own heart, listening to, and to the echoes and movements of the Holy Spirit in his own heart, and it comes from that process. I mean, it, 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 it is not simply a bureaucratic document. It's a document of the heart. And, I mean, it's a charter really, I, I don't want to be too dramatic, but it is dramatic. It's a, it's it's a charter of the heart of the people and bishop of a particular pr- uh, place, and that place is Detroit. But it's the story of all of us, of people throughout the United States, throughout the world. And it's the same call. It's the call to allow Christ in, to allow him, to bring him in from the peripheries of our lives so that we can live in the hope of which we are heirs which we have a right to, which, which, which is ours by our baptism, by, by our, our, our uh, adoption in Christ. And so that, it really is that document of the heart. I mean, you know, in so many ways, we're, uh, we, we've, we've, we've got to confront the accretions of unbelief that seep into our own hearts, that seep into the hearts, because, you know, I mean, let's face it, if, if, if evangelization doesn't begin with me, I'm going to have a hard time evangeliz- evangelizing you. Right. And so it's, it's an acknowledgement and a need for each of our conversion. And it's the, it's the acknowledgement and, and need of the, uh, of, the, of the archbishop's heart expressing that very, very uh, desire that, that Christ might be all in all, that he might... Uh, um, that he, he might be, uh, um, that I might be completely his, and, and yeah. because he is completely mine. You know, I, as I look at this document, it, it's very clear that even though there are pragmatic steps, this is not sure. an attempt to create a program, but this really is exactly. an attempt to light a match and ignite a passion. Uh, there, there's this uh, moment towards the end where the archbishop says all members of the local church should examine themselves to ensure that they have not stalled in their discipleship and thus become unable to give credible witness to the power of the gospel. 
The Lord always has more for us than what we have yet received. Every one of us is called to and capable of sainthood. You, you know, you couldn't be more right in that this is not a programmatic di- guide. In fact, the least important part of this document are the action steps. And I say they're, they're, least, they're, they're the least important. I only say that because the heart of the document is about repentance and conversion. It's about allowing myself to be wooed by Christ anew, to be to allow myself and allow others to to realize that, that the wooing of Christ for his people is not pie in the sky. It's what he desires to do. And if we'll let him, if we'll allow him, it's amazing how he can transform us as he did, you know, the apostles in the upper room. I mean, you know, the Archbishop's fond of saying, what's going on here with this? this uh, uh, document with this, with this new missionary pivot is essentially Acts 29. Mm-hmm. It's Acts 29. It's what, what happened in Jerusalem is happening in Detroit today. And it, and it needs to happen, of course, everywhere. And Detroit is, is simply the example and not the, the paradigm. Uh, it's, it's, it, it, uh, it's, it, it's Acts 29 and the possibilities for um, missionary uh, missionary living. Yeah. We're talking today with Bishop Gerard Battersby. He's an auxiliary bishop of the Archdiocese of Detroit. And you're talking about this idea that, one, Acts continues. And, of course, if, you, if you're not familiar with it, the book of Acts doesn't really have a formal ending. It just kind of gives you the next step and leaves That's it open-ended right. with this picture of us continuing today the Acts of the Apostles. Uh, And so I want to talk about this call to sainthood, and it's coinciding really nicely with one of Detroit's own sons, Father Solanus Casey, who is moving towards his beatification. He's got that Mass coming up on November 18th. And I love this this picture of Father Solanus accompanying this release of Unleash the Gospel, because he is the most unlikely saint. If you sit down and think of the strong and the mighty saint. Isn't that right? Here's yeah. a young man who who didn't finish uh, school, who couldn't keep up with the academics of being a priest in the, in the diocese. And so they said, well, go, why don't you go approach an order? So he comes to the Franciscans, the Capuchins, and and becomes a priest, but he's he's the lowliest of the priests. He's the doorkeeper. So talk a little bit about Father Solanus, his road to canonization, and how he stands for each one of us uh, as proof that each of us can strive for sanctity and sainthood. You know, one of the things that I, of course, want to say first off is that there are no coincidences for Christians. Mm -hmm. The truth of the matter is, is that um, it's not a coincidence that that Father Solanus is being uh, beatified um, at this time, it's 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 all about um, you know, kind of a change in attitude, and without trying to uh, to 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 be too rhythmic, um, it's about becoming a people of gratitude. And you know, one of the key things that Father Solanus always said was to thank God ahead of time, and it expressed a confidence that not only will God act, but he but 
he will bless his children. And, and it's an expectation and a confidence of children in their father's love. And, and that's what Father Salama said. You know, he was a, he was a simplex priest. He, he was not a lot able to preach. But everybody who has encountered him, including he healed my own mother of, a, of an illness when she was a child. Oh, wow. um, everybody has stories like that in the, in the city of Detroit. Um, he, was, he wasn't afraid to speak the truth. And it's a truth he spoke in love. It's a truth that, that you know, God so loved the world that he sent his only son. And, and, and the confidence that comes from that, and, and really that was Father Solanus's life. I'm told he played the, uh, the violin atrociously. <laughs> and so even, even saints, you know, uh, uh, are, are not perfect. Right. Um, but, but, but he always gave great glory to God and thanked God ahead of time. Well, and from what I know of his life, he listened uh, he listened to the individual person. He sat down with them and, and understood where they were and accompanied them on that journey. Uh, right. That's exactly right. And, and, and that really is very much um, what the Archbishop tried to write about in Unleash the Gospel and to, to, to bring that, uh, the comparison between Father Solanus and Unleash the Gospel is, is the need for all of us to become radical in our hospitality because of Christ, because imitating him is, is the very uh, raison d'etre of our life. And, and so it is about listening. It's about receiving. It's about accompanying the other, you know, and, uh, and Father Solanus, of course, did that uh, par excellence. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that specifically when you have a, a new saint going through this process, being beatified on his way to canonization from your area, uh, it creates this idea of, well, if, it, if he could do it, if, if he could do it who we know, then maybe we can actually begin this process in our own lives today. Maybe I can find a way to move towards sanctity in some small way today. It, it, it really is everyone's call to be a saint, and that means to be completely set apart and won over uh, by the Holy Spirit for God. And Father Solanus was, and he's a reminder and, a, and, a, and an exemplar for you and me to become saints as well, to be, to be wholly caught up in the love of the Father who has sent us Christ Jesus our Lord. And that's really what Father Solanus was. And that's what you and I are called to be. That's what every man and woman is called to be in their baptism. Mm -hmm. You know, we're, we're to be amb ambassadors of a love story. And that love story is, is the love story of the triune God, of the Father for all his people. We've been talking today with Bishop Gerard Battersby, Auxiliary Bishop of the Archdiocese of Detroit, about this new pastoral letter, Unleash the Gospel. Go read it. It's only about 45 pages long. Go over to unleashthegospel.com. You want to hear more from Bishop Battersby? Well, we have extra segments for our supporters. If you want to become a supporter, go over to outsidethewalls.com and click that Patreon link. Join us over on social media, facebook.com slash stepoutsidethewalls. On Twitter, the handle's at outsidethewalls. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the foundations and implications of our faith in our daily lives. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. Today we're talking about evangelization. We're continuing that conversation. We've had several weeks now. You can get the whole conversation over at OutsideTheWalls.com and look through our archives in recent weeks. All the weeks since Pentecost, we've been talking about evangelization. And today we had Bishop Gerard Battersby. He's an auxiliary bishop for the Archdiocese of Detroit. And we talked a little bit about this new pastoral letter that came out uh, on Pentecost from the Archdiocese called Unleash the Gospel. And you can read the whole thing. I highly recommend that you do over at unleashthegospel.com. We're going to be reading a section of that today as our document from the church, even though it's not certainly from history. It is very timely and something that I want to share with you, a little passage from it. Uh, Now, you can also go to social media on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram and put in the hashtag, hashtag UnleashTheGospel, and you can see just an amazing amount of commentary, quotes from the document or uh, little memes uh, that, that, are pretty enough to share dealing with this document, blogs about it, some people are doing a study guide through it. It, So there's all kinds of things that you can do to interface with this document and access it. Now, if you missed any part of our show today or you want to share this with someone that you know and love, don't worry. All of it's archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. And if you want to support the work that we do here by giving a small monthly amount, uh, anywhere from $2 to quite a bit more, well, you can go to OutsideTheWalls.com and click that Patreon link or go to Patreon.com slash OutsideTheWalls, and you can get a whole bunch of free stuff, exclusive content, unbroadcast segments, including a great segment from Bishop Battersby today uh, that's up there right now. So if you go and contribute on a monthly basis, small little amount to the success of this show, we're going to give you all that stuff. Uh, Some levels you can get into monthly video chats and giveaways uh, and much, much more. So please go take a look at that over at OutsideTheWalls.com. Click the Patreon link for more information. Now, today, let's go ahead and I want to read to you. We're not going to do the readings for today, although today is the feast day of St. Unipera Uh, And he is somebody worth taking the time to take a look at. We're not going to do that today. But just know that today is a feast day for missionaries, and so it fits with our conversation. Uh, We're we're not going to read the reading from today because there's one that I want to read to you more, and you've heard it, I'm sure. This is the Great Commission. This is right before Christ ascends into heaven. This is out of the Gospel of Matthew. But there's some version of this, uh, this commission to go in every gospel and the book of Acts. This is something that, that is very important, as, as Pope Paul VI said, this is the, the, uh, the core identity, the deepest identity of the church's evangelization. And so in the book of Matthew, right at the very end, we read this. The eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had ordered them. When they saw him, they worshipped, but they doubted. Then Jesus approached and said to them, All power in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, if the apostles, if these apostles doubted, they worshiped God, but they doubted, 
if they did it, then surely God understands these moments that we have doubt. And yet in the midst of the doubt, that's the point that Jesus approached them and told them to go. And just a few short days later, they were going to experience Pentecost. You see, in their own strength, they didn't have it. And their own strength is they're looking at Christ that they've walked with for 40 days after his resurrection, and they're looking at him in the face, and they worshiped him, and they doubted. (laughs) If they could do that in their own strength and need the power of the Holy Spirit to give them what they need to go out and evangelize, then, then how much more we, who have not walked with him for three years straight, who have not seen him 40 days consistently after his resurrection. How much more do we need an infilling of the Holy Spirit to be able to go and fulfill this call? But remember, behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And this is what we have through the graces of the sacrament. This is what we have in adoration, is the knowledge and the peace that he is with us right here in the midst of our craziness. He's here. And so, I want to encourage you, just like the disciples, this has been given to all of us, go and make disciples. Let's turn our attention now to this pastoral letter, Unleash the Gospel. And there's so much uh, in this document, I had to really figure out where it was I wanted to read. There's so much good in it, and I encourage you to go and take the time over to unleashthegospel.com. It's only 40 pages long. Take the time to read through this. But I'm going to read to you as we're talking about being with Christ and, and understanding his presence. Uh, I, I, want to, I want to read to you this section on communion, the communion of the church. And this is out of, uh, out of section three. The church is the context given by God in which we encounter Jesus Christ. Although it is common for people today to say, they are spiritual but not religious, or that they believe in Jesus but not in the church. In truth, there can be no relationship with Jesus that does not include his church. God relates to his people not as isolated individuals, but as a people, a family, united with one another in the deep bonds of love. We learn to give and receive God's love in and through our relationships with one another. As St. Augustine taught, When we say amen before receiving Holy Communion, we are saying amen not only to Christ the head, but to all the members of his body. So profound is this communion that it endures beyond death. We have fellowship not only with the members of the church on earth, but with the saints in heaven who are cheering us on and helping us draw closer to Christ. Pastors and other leaders should reflect on how to deepen the experience of communion among their parishioners. Do some people attend Mass in isolation, not knowing or being known by others? Do some have the impression that relating to God is sufficient and relating to others in the parish is unnecessary? Are all aware of their responsibility to encourage and build up the faith of others? Do all recognize the need to forgive the offenses of others? to bear with their faults and failings, to avoid cliques and factions, to overcome social and cultural barriers, and to reach out to those who may feel lonely or neglected. Our parishes must be places where people's hearts may be encouraged as they are knit together in love. 
One effective way to foster communion is to form well-planned small groups in which the members meet regularly for Bible study or faith formation, as well as mutual support, encouragement, and growth in holiness. Social events can also go a long way toward building relationships. It is important to keep in mind that fellowship in the church is not for its own sake, but is always centered on the person of Christ. Now, the document goes on from there to talk about a lot of different ways that we come into this relationship with God, but I want to focus on this idea of community. There's a, a group of folks in the uh, in the Archdiocese of Oklahoma City that I am familiar with and friends with, uh, though I've never had the opportunity to do this event. They gather together every Tuesday night in somebody's home to do Vespers, and they have dinner together, and then they do the Liturgy of the Hours. They do Vespers together. They pray this prayer together, and quite a bit more. Uh, as they build community with one another in the context of prayer. Is this something that you can do? Is it something that's easy enough? It's something that I have endeavored to start in the next few months uh, to begin locating people that I want to have into my home, not just for this, you know, we, we do this thing where we do brunch and we invite them in, but those tend to be really short-term. I, I invite, I engage, and then there's always someone new. And what I love about this model, this Tuesday night model of Vespers, is it's an ongoing relationship that's cultivated. And it's always open to new people, right? You don't want to become a click and closed off. You want to grow in a relationship with one another. And then each of you go and start that same kind of group and bring others in. As we grow together in the faith, as we are strengthened in our times of trouble and our times of weakness, this... This is what parish life is meant to be, where person to person, we gather together, we strengthen one another, and we walk life together through the ups and the downs. We don't just say, oh, well, it's good to see you. I'll see you next week. Uh, or, or worse, where we don't even say anything. We go into Mass, we sneak in the back, and then we leave <laughs> right after communion before the, the benediction, right? This is not what the parish is for. It's not just to, to go and receive the sacraments and book it out of there. It's about building these relationships. And out of these relationships, out of this community of Christ, we are then empowered by the love of God to go and bring people into this, this life. You know, if you, if you think that Mass is stale, if you think it's boring, you're never going to invite someone else. If you ha don't feel like you belong or have a community— you're never going to invite someone else to come and join you at Mass. But if you have a community that gives you life day in and day out as a part of your parish, all of a sudden you're going to want these new friends that you have or friends from other contexts, you're going to want to give them that experience of life. And a lot of this comes from living in community with one another. That's all the time we have this week. Next week, we've got Sherry Waddell, author of Forming Intentional Disciples. We're going to continue just a little bit longer in this evangelization topic. Outside the Walls is made possible by the generous contributions of our supporters. This week's show comes to you courtesy of Drs. Michael and Julie Hyland, good friends of ours. Why don't you become a supporter today? Go over to OutsideTheWalls.com and click that Patreon link. Look at all the extra content you could be getting today. And join us over on Facebook.com slash Step Outside the Walls and Twitter, the handles at Outside the Walls. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. <laughs>